folks, it's time for another episode of what we call the MCO Lockdown episode of the Jiggy John Show. And today I'm dialing in with my man in Hong Kong, Mr. Robert Rogers of Events Man. What's up, buddy? Hey, how you doing, man? Right. Very good. Thank you. Welcome to the show and thank you very much for making time. I know you are also uh, being quarantined at home. I have uh, plenty of time at the moment. <laughs> yeah, because... I couldn't help but uh, notice your article that, oh, or at least your blog post that became an interview uh, mm -hmm. on mixed meetings. And when I read it, I'm like, wait a minute, I need to talk to this guy because he's got a story and a half, only because of what you mentioned from your SARS experience. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you've, you're, I don't know anyone else in the industry who has gone through something like that, who's able to remember it and can actually shed a lot of light for the rest of us who are for the first time experiencing a global pandemic at this scale, you know? So yeah. we'll get, yeah, we'll get to that later. But uh, Robert, like, let's start off with where you're from. Uh, so, so I'm originally from the US. Uh, I've been in Hong Kong now though for over 30 years. Um, so I've actually been here longer than anywhere else. So, so when you say where I'm from, I, I feel as though I'm from Hong Kong. and. And when I'm, when I'm back in the U.S., people go, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Hong Kong. <laughs> or if I'm in Europe, I'll say I'm from Hong Kong. And they're like, oh, you don't look Chinese. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> where, 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 where did you grow up in America? Uh, so I, I, I was born in, um, in Arizona, but then moved to San Francisco when I was about 10. So I grew up in the Bay Area, um, uh, around Palo Alto, um, as Silicon Valley was just coming, in, coming into play. Uh, it was, you know, that, that area, Mountain View, Palo Alto, they're right next door to each other. Um, and then uh, as soon as I was old enough, I moved up, moved up to San Francisco and moved to the city. Oh, wow. So you're, sorry. Go ahead. No, I said, I, I never realized that you, you were, well, I didn't know you from San Fran. Yeah. And I knew you states, but I mean, as long as I've known you, which is about a decade now, it's only been Hong Kong. And I know that you've been in Hong Kong for a while, but wow. So how did you, how did you, well, wait, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the biggest chi Chinatown outside of, I guess, China in, in San Fran? They, they, that's what they maybe, say. Maybe there's a big Chinatown there. Um, uh, I remember, you know, yeah, I remember going through it. Um, it's a big one. I, it might be the biggest one. I, I know the largest Thai community outside of Thailand is in LA, but I have no idea about, about the biggest would be, it would be, uh, yeah, San Francisco or New York, most likely San Francisco because there were so many immigrants came over in the 1800s um, uh, coming over to help build the railroads and all that. So, yeah. it's a big, you know, there's a big, big Chinese community, but, you know, most of the Asians that I, I know are, they're, you know, they're Americans. They're not. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. They're all fourth generation at this point or third generation plus minus. Yeah. So how did you end up in Hong Kong? Like, how did that happen? I, I was I was chasing a girl. Uh, a, uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't get her. I found a, I found a different one. But but no, I was um, so so I uh, was working in in uh, doing a lot of restaurant work and stuff like that, and wanted to get out of San Francisco. A girl that I had been seeing, she had gone off to um, uh, gone off traveling, and uh, uh, her sister was going to go meet her in Hong Kong. And so I said, uh, oh, I'll come with you, but you know, let's, don't, let's not tell Leslie. We're, we won't tell her about it. We'll just surprise her, which just really was not 
a good idea is. <laughs> but anyway, so I showed up in Hong Kong kind of unannounced. Going, hey, I'm here. Welcome. And she was like, what the fuck? What are you doing here? <laughs> okay, great. Fine, fine. Um, luckily, she's a, she's a very cool lady. So, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, we worked around things. Um, and yeah, so I, I was, I came to Hong Kong the first time, um, kind of met whole, you know, opened up my eyes to a whole different way of life and a whole different people from around the world was living with uh, a lot of Scottish, Scottish and British people and, you know, meeting, meeting Hong Kong people and then went traveling, uh, went through, uh, Thailand for a while, went around China. Um, and this was what, 19, this was 80, 87. Um, uh, and yeah, went around China and, and stuff, and then um, ran out of money, and and was trying to do some work. I was in uh, in Bangkok, uh, and I was uh, I was teaching English there for a little while, trying to do some work, and then I managed managed to get myself back into Hong Kong. Uh, and at that time, being an American, uh, you only got a one month visa, so I was having okay. to leave. I was having to leave Hong Kong every month to try and keep my visa going, and I couldn't work legally and was lots of trouble. So I ended up going, getting back, uh, uh, going back to the states for some while, making some money, and then as soon as I had some money, I was out of there <laughs> and left, left wow. again, came back, and then I spent some more time Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, and then I was in Australia for about six months, um, where I met my wife. Now uh, I. I met her there and we were decided to go traveling. Uh, we met up again in Bangkok and we were on our way to India. Didn't have quite enough money to get out of India, enough to get in, but not to get out. It's just not a place to get stuck. And uh, we said, um, well, you know, I, I have some friends in, I have some friends in Hong Kong uh, or we could go to Taipei and being Hong Kong, she's, my wife's British and being Hong Kong, being British at the time, she could work. Um, and so, we thought, okay, we'll do six months in Hong Kong, and yeah, we've been here thirty years now. So, <laughs> wow, what a story! I mean, like, I didn't know your wife was English. I, I thought she was American. Uh, she's Welsh. Welsh. She's Welsh. Welsh. Ah, isn't yeah. that <laughs> isn't that where Tom Jones is from? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's you know, from South Wales. She's, she's why from North. Why I remember is about 15 years ago, I did a wedding for a, a Welsh lady and um, we, we got her a Tom Jones tribute artist. Oh, excellent, excellent. And he's one of the best in the region. He's actually Malaysian, ironically. And he actually looks like Tom, he actually looks like Tom Jones. I'll send you his video. And cool. my Lord, he's, he set the women on fire that night. <laughs> the ladies just lost the plot. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Tom, Tom Jones was out. He was out here a couple of times. He did uh, the CLSA convention, which used to be a big, used to be a big thing. I was working working on that one, helping that out. He's he's, he's an amazing performer. He just works it so hard, and the, yeah. and the ladies the ladies are so funny with their with their underwear, throwing their underwear at him. Exactly. No, you're right. It 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 seems to be the thing. It's a Tom Jones thing, like you know, and 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 true true blue flans. The girls just lose their mind. Uh, yeah. So that was an eye opener. So tell me, how in the world did you get into events, or how did you set up an event business? Well, so so um, my you know, my background. So as a uh, growing up in San Francisco in the Bay Area, I, I, I was fascinated with theater, and I was doing a lot of theater. Um, well, not a lot, but I was was doing theater and studying uh, acting and stuff like that. 
Um, in the meantime, as actors, aspiring actors do, you know, you work waiting tables, uh, working in restaurants. And uh, okay. so I work front of house, back of house, um, you know, baristas, doing everything I could. Then the restaurant that I was working for, we started doing some offsite catering. So, you know, was doing, uh, working there, doing, we're doing weddings and private parties and stuff like that. Um, and then when I left and came here, uh, like I said, I couldn't legally work here. Uh, and then also moving around Asia, I couldn't, couldn't really get a, get a job working in a restaurant. Um, and the, uh, um, uh, so was doing a lot of, bus started, started busking. So I could, you know, I played a bit of, uh, played a bit of banjo and was, was kind of getting myself around by playing music on the streets. Um, and then, uh, then doing that, I met a couple of circus performers. One was a fire eater, and the other one was a stilt walker. Um, uh, and the, the fire eater taught me how not to kill myself, and the stilt walker gave me a stilts, and I could just I walked off on him because I've got pretty good balance. And then uh, suddenly I was, you know, put my acting skills to that, and I started. Uh, I was I was a circus performer, um, and then I got a job working working a gig. Uh, at the, at, the, at the country club. I did six hours of fire eating, but I made more money than I had made, you know, anything, doing anything else. I was like, yes, this is it. I'm going to be a performer. By the, by the end of that six hours, though, my lips were just like, you know, blistered. My tongue has blistered all over. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so so was performing. I started working with a, a circus clown who was also a traveler who had come, she'd come to Hong Kong. Um, and uh, you know, she taught me some of the basics of, of theatrical clowning, white face, and grotesque clowning, and, and all of that. Um, uh, so we were we were doing circus acts. Um, I would get a booking for something, and somebody would say, uh, you know, oh, that's great, we'll take you, but hey, we need a juggler. And I'd be like, oh, I know, you know, there's this juggler coming through. Let's get him. You know. So I started. Wait, kind hold of, on. Mm -hmm. Hold on. You have been a clown. I, I am a clown. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lofty Lofty Heights is my my clown character. Uh, How come you you, you, ne you never you never told me this? Well, we, we yeah yeah we never never you, talked about it but yeah you you know that I was also I, a clown, I know right? I know you're, yeah I know I know I, I, I we have a very similar sort of career path I think coming from oh. coming from the circus side and uh, wow I I didn't know that man okay continue wow I'm I'm just I'm learning new something new every day okay um. Yeah, yeah. Um, should have gotten some some photos out. We could have done show and tell. Um, uh, yeah, so so yeah, no white white face still still walking clown. So I played the straight the straight guy. Uh, Lofty Heights is a uh, um, uh, you know he, he's he's a, he's a little bit bumbling, uh, but you know he's he's the serious one. Um, so yeah, so I was I was doing uh, we had I started working was doing Lofty Heights character, which was a still walking clown character. And then uh, uh, started working with a magician, uh, Jeremy Dane, who was, and we had a show, the Lofty Heights and the Great Dane. Uh, and we were doing kid shows, family shows, and we also then started doing some, some adult versions, and I had a different character um, uh, for, for the adult shows. Um, and then he had, a, he had a really bad accident. This was 90, this was 97. Um, uh, he had a, had, a, had a, died of an overdose. And the um, uh, we had all these gigs booked, um, and it was like the, everyone was like, "Oh, you can't cancel! You can't cancel!" And so suddenly I was like, 
okay, I know the tricks, I'll do the tricks. And so suddenly I was a magician. Uh, and so I so, uh, started focusing on, on doing the magic. I mean, I was doing magic all along, but before it was, you know, he was the magician, I was the, the assistant, but I was the box hopper. So, you know, I was the one doing all the, all the work behind the scenes. <laughs> And we had a couple yeah. of we had a couple of big illusion shows and stuff that we were doing at the time, um, uh, but yeah. So suddenly I was I was a magician, um, and uh, and then I found myself, you know, booking talent to to do the thing. I we would you know we would do go to go to the venue, go to the organizer, and I'd be like, right. So I'm going to need um, you know stage size twenty by fourteen, and then I'm going to need a backdrop, and we're going to need. Uh, some intelligent lighting and a PA system suitable for the venue, and I'd go, what? And i go, tell you what, let me sort it. So, okay. the technical stuff. Um, then I started realizing that people were paying a lot for that backdrop, and some sometimes yeah. they paid more for the backdrop than they were paying for me, and I was like, I can do that. Um, yeah. So, you know, we started doing the decoration, uh, and then started doing more management, started organizing, um, and then it got to the point that you know I would do the, I would send out the invitations. I would I would show up the night before, be up all night setting stuff up, climbing ladders, hanging things. Then I would like switch into my tuxedo and I'd be there greeting guests as they arrived. Then I would be on stage and I would be you know be the MC for the show. And then you know uh, then I have to take it all down and all of that. Um, and finally I just went you know what this is crazy. Um, uh, I can't can't do it all. I need to focus one way or the other. So I kind of split yeah. split the company, uh, and I still perform every once in a while, but once a year now, mostly for charity shows. Uh, but since two thousand, about, uh, I I just really just organize. Uh, so for the last eighteen years, only only manage. So hold on, when did you set up the company Events Man, or is that later? We're, we're, coming, that? we're coming into our twentieth year now. Oh, wow. Events we is 20 years old. Magic Circus. Have, yeah. yeah, we have the exact same timeline. Like, Jiggy turns 20 this year as well. Uh, okay. Uh, so, Magic Circus is, well, 30, 30 years old. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, for about 10 ah, years. Okay, okay. Oh, wow. So, do you, do you still have the company, Magic Circus? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of dormant. Magic Circus is a sole proprietorship, whereas Events Man is limited. So, so understand. Know, if I burn, if I burn down the hotel, then you know, <laughs> as, as Events Man, you know, they can, they they can only take uh, they can only take the company. I I mean, I feel like I'm I'm listening to my own story because it's exactly what I used to do. I used to go as a clown to events. And I'm like, wait a minute! It's not rocket science. I can I can put a backdrop up. I can I can rent a PA system. I can and, and I was like, wow! I didn't know that. Well, I think that's more. You say it's not rocket science, but you're absolutely right. Anybody can do it, but not everybody can understand what it takes to uh, to to connect with people and to to motivate people. And so I think I think coming from an entertainment standpoint, it's a little bit different because you're. You look at it as how to how to engage people. Um, yeah. Whereas a, a lot of people that that are in our industry now, they come from a you know they've learned it in school, so they just buy the book, right? Oh, we need to have this. We need to have this. We need to have this. And there's no yeah. you know when you go to it, go to that that sort of event. There's no 
I don't get the feeling they don't hit that X spot. Um, uh, whereas I think with entertainers, they they get it and they get the fact that you need to, you know, you, know, you need to engage audiences and you need to take them on this ride that takes them up and down. Uh, so not rocket science, but there's more to it than that. That performers have an innate understanding that other people don't. It's it's funny you you literally just said what I've been saying for a while now because for the last couple of years I've had the opportunity to hire a lot of uh, fresh graduates who come out of school having studied event management mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's such a new thing like it's it's been offered as a degree I would say at a very serious level only in the last six to seven years or eight years max uh, you know it's become a huge thing and 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 of so, you know, the first batches of those who rolled out as four-year degree students right. in event management. And then when they come out, I'm like, sure. So you've got a degree now. You're ready to run an event. And I give them that challenge. And then they're like, yeah. and then, <laughs> you know, and, and then they look at, at, at how we do things. And then they realize like, whoa, like textbooks versus, you know, School of Hard Knocks. You don't, um, you know, you don't know until you know. Um, you know, and you can't, it's really, so I, I teach, I've been teaching for the last couple of years. I teach okay. at, uh, at Hong Kong University at the, at the night school and okay. uh, teaching, teaching festival, festival and event, uh, event management. And a lot of the students there, they're, 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 they're quite intelligent and they, they know, they, they get it and they really know what's going on, but trying to get across that concept of engagement and, yeah. and getting people you know in leader leadership as well because there's a right. you know there's a there's a big that's a major part of being an event manager is getting everybody on your team and having yeah. people want want to do do a good job as well as feel as though they're having some input into it yeah there's 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 a lot of a lot of it that being an entertainer it comes for us much more naturally than it would come from somebody who doesn't have that background. No. That is true. I mean, I, I, I never knew that I could have just literally sat down and yacked with you because we understand <laughs> what goes on in our heads. Because sometimes people are like, are you, are you mad? Like, where, what are you thinking of? Like, you know, we're wired differently and we come from a different background. You know, we've, uh, interesting, interesting. So I want to ask you this, like, I mean, it really sounds that when you, um, experience what happened in 2003 when SARS came online mm -hmm. uh, you had already been in the business magic circus it sounds like maybe you've been in the industry more than about 10 years plus am i right yeah. Yeah. yeah so when i read what you read i'm like wait a minute i need to talk to robert about this because this is my first pandemic when in 2003 i was still a one-man show operating out of my bedroom you know, things are hunky-dory. Everything was just woohoo. You know, I was just starting out. Uh, now, when I fast forward it to today, I got a team. I'm responsible for a lot of people, and 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 the future seemed rather bleak. So I actually wanted to ask you, like, if you can remember going back 17 years now, um, how that entire that entire period during SARS in Hong Kong, and and your business, how the turnaround time came around and how did you handle it and how did the industry handle it? Because I really think it's going to help a lot of us in events to hear from you what you experienced in 2003 because I, I genuinely think as business owners, as event business owners, as show producers, it would be good to hear 
what you experienced then, because I think a lot of it will resonate well even today. Yes, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, obviously. I've got a lot of time to attend <laughs> to. Um, uh, and it was quite interesting because so I, I was just in Las Vegas speaking at uh, the special event. Um, and I was there in the US as the wave started to come across. <laughs> when I left, it looked like Hong Kong, it was under control, things were happening. The US was saying, oh, no, 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 it'll be fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, as that week progressed, it just got more and more interesting. And the, uh, the you know, when I first got there, I would go to shake hands with, people would come to shake hands with me and I'd be like, oh, live long and prosper. And they'd be like, oh, oh you know, what's, what's this all about? You know, and they'd kind of slightly put off and slightly offended about me not wanting to, to go around shaking hands and, you know, spraying constantly with disinfectant. I wasn't wearing a mask because uh, I you know, had no symptoms, but anyway. Um, the, uh, the one of the main differences, I think, between this time, uh, between COVID and between SARS, um, SARS was, was uh, Hong Kong uh, and uh, Toronto. Um, in Hong Kong because, and Toronto, because we managed to squash it through social distancing, through closing things down, through um, you know all of the things that we're going through right now, we managed to yep. squash it. We actually managed to to get rid of it entirely. So then, right. when the summer, when the summer came around, and the the, uh, the 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 virus was dying back naturally anyway, uh, it it disappeared. Now, there has been a few isolated cases, mostly people working with it in laboratories where it's gotten out, but other than that, it's, it's gone. This time, I think one of the, the interesting things we'll be to look at is what happens in the next couple of months. So mm. as, the summer, as the summertime comes around, you know, there's, there's all these countries that are not taking it very seriously or that, you know, there's all these people that are, are you know, some, it, it hasn't. It hasn't been able to run its course, and I don't think we'll be able to squash it in the same way that we did with SARS. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, okay. The 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 other good thing about with uh, SARS uh, was that yes, Hong Kong was shut down, but there was still stuff happening outside. Um, so it was it was just much more localized. Uh, so the the comeback was much was much quicker um i think this one's going to be quite interesting so how how the world will come back to it um uh with with sars um you know there was a while there that it was pretty desperate because <laughs> you know everything similar like this every everything was cancelled and as a as a you know a gig worker at the time because that's what we were going gig to gig um yeah. you know had no income coming in and it was screwed was was having to take I was taking jobs in China in mainland where SARS had come from and at the times China wasn't quite as developed as it was now so you know you really had no idea what was going on with it so when you're flying on planes and stuff it felt very risky um, uh, I so I, I kind of see that now as people get desperate one of the dangers is that they're going to put themselves into risky, risky scenarios and possibly then, you know, bring it back. Um, 
one of the things that I see for, for us in the events world is the, the whole world, uh, saw, saw it with SARS as well, is, is the whole mindset will, will change. So here in Hong Kong, since we had SARS, all the black spots where there was like, you know, we had rubbish in the alley and where it was kind of like dirty and grotty and who knows what was growing back there. Those are all gone now. Those have all been, been cleaned up seriously. We have um, uh, lifts and things like that are constantly being disinfected, not just now, but they have always been. Uh, we have hand sanitizers in public buildings near lifts all over the place. And that has been for the last, you know, whatever, 10 years that's, that's, that's come in. Um, one of the reasons that Hong Kong's been able to deal with COVID so well is because we have in place already uh, in the uh, airports and stuff, we have screening that as you come through, they're looking for fever. Um, as you go through, they're scanning you and doing thermal checks on people. And they have, that hasn't stopped the entire time. Uh, so anytime somebody was coming through with a fever, they'd pull them aside. Hey, you know, where are you coming from? So, so when MERS came through, when, when they're having the, the uh, Ebola and all of that sort of stuff, they raise, yeah. raise, and, raise and lower the alerts. So similar to like terrorism, there's like this alert level that we have built in the system now and within the, the people within Hong Kong that as the level, as the, the level goes up to red, more stuff starts coming in and starts happening. So Hong Kong's been able to deal, I think, quite well with, with this. Um, but because we're so centralized and so many people coming through, that's going to change. That's going to change how the how the outcome will come out. Um, my hope, you know, uh, my fingers crossed, is that come summertime, you know, it kind of it dies out. The virus mutates to become something that's not so not so dangerous uh, and it becomes more of a common cold and we just get used to it uh, yeah. and, the rest, and the rest of the world then you know starts to implement systems within their events uh, that you know monitor uh, monitor the, uh, the, the the safety of the participants because you know yeah. as, as, as event managers that is our one of our our main roles one of the things that I, I see for my own business personally uh, in short to medium term uh, I see events, festivals, big stuff like that. There's going to be just so much fear because of natural fear, both from participants as well as from organizers, as well as insurance. That those big events just—they're not going to happen so much. They're going to get—they're going to get scaled down quite a lot. Uh, but smaller, more personal events are going to get more more important, and they're going to take up a uh, take up a bigger role in our in our organizing. So. People still want to meet, they still want to get together, but they want to lessen the risk. And so one of the first ways to do that is to scale down the event. And then on top of that, then you put in the monitoring situations of thermal scanning, temperature checks, um, you know, communicating to your to your um, uh, to your to your attendees. Uh, you know, please don't come if, you know, if, if you're not feeling well, just don't come. We'll refund your money, no problem, just don't come. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's there's a big communication thing. What's, um, what's it? Sorry. As far as for the industry, uh, it will be very interesting because because of the shakeup. So you know we were already moving more towards a much more gig economy within our industry. Of you know the the, the big agencies were all downsizing, 
the big big agencies were hiring, you know, individual managers on a project basis. Um, you know that that I think is just going to continue even more. Uh, there's going to be a lot of holes in there because a lot of these companies just they're not going to make it. It's just it's just not not going to be possible for them to go on. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of downsizing. And then when the indus- when when the gigs do start to come back up, there's also a lot of opportunity in there for you know the smaller players to be able to go. Hey, I survived. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, yeah. You know, it's those those bigger ones. Uh, read exhibitions. Uh, um, uh, they, you know, those those major exhibition companies and those guys. They're they're going to get slaughtered in this. Um, yeah. People that have people that have a lot of staff that are trying to work from home but no income. Yep. Um, and for small business owners like you know my, myself, I'm I'm really lucky because I did have staff about four or five months ago. But you know we were just having a, a little change around anyway. And I thought, well, you know, let's, let's hold off and see what happens. So yep. currently, currently I've just got myself to worry about, which you know. So so for me, it's great. But for guys like you, I, it's it's going to be really hard because you're going to have some really yeah. hard decisions to make. Um, yeah. I had some had some interesting conversations with some other business owners and other event guys in uh, in Las Vegas, and you know some of the things that we were talking about was it's not you know these these people that are working for you their family, you know they're, they're you're you're right you're right it's um, it's really that you know it's really that, but but at the same time it it is a you know it, it is a a business and this business you know. It's, one of, one of the best analogies I heard was that, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to amputate the arm to save the body. Um, and that's, you know, that's really sad. Um, luckily, in a lot of countries, there's a lot of great programs coming in to pay for salaries. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, that, seen that in the U.S. is happening a lot there. Um, in Hong Kong, they've initiated a thing where they're paying... Uh, uh, up to fifty percent of salaries for for SMEs, uh, which you know, that's really helpful because that's enough. You can at least keep them on, <laughs> you know, or you know, uh, you know, or at least keep them keep them alive. Keep them, yeah. Because you know, once you once you lose, you know, once you lose a, a member of the family, trying to get them back is going to be really hard. Um, um, one of the um, one of the the. People that I feel the most sorry for in this environment, and I'm working on a thing right now with a with a group is is our gig workers. Yeah. So, you know, our musicians, clowns, jugglers, yeah. all of yeah. those people, because they're working, you know, they're working gig to gig, and a lot of yeah. those guys they don't have any savings. Um, yeah. Oh, of good. course. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, it it is going to be another, it'll be another, uh, you know, at least until October is the next time that I see anything happening. Um, yeah, that's when, yeah, that's when my next gigs come in is October. Um, so you know, finger, fingers and fingers crossed that the virus doesn't come back in December as strong as it has been this time. Because <laughs> you know, otherwise that leaves a little window. October, November is going to be really, really busy, and then suddenly everybody's going to panic, and it's all going to cancel again for another six months. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, you know, the only the only thing that I can say from my experience of SARS is it will pass it will pass um you just gotta dig yourself dig yourself in and be create as creative as possible yeah. uh, and figure out you know how how you can save what you can and how you can then branch out 
and create new new revenue streams. Uh, so I was just talking with a, a poet who does he does gigs for um, uh, for for he basically sets up his typewriter at, uh, at the at the event and he writes up poetry on the spot. It's it's really cool. It's very beatnik. It's very very modern. It's very soulful. But you know, obviously, he he's a poet. Poets are, are renowned for never having any money, and so he's he's fucked. You know, he's screwed at this point. And so he's trying to create some other revenue stream that he can. So he's going to um, uh, to places like um, um, hiring uh, to to he's going to businesses and he's trying to help them with um, uh, engagement for their employees and kind of doing some soul soulful stuff for their employees to raise morale within them. So then he's getting on, getting on Skype and doing, you know, fresh doing po poetry for them and stuff. Yeah, hopefully, well, there's there's at least there's something for him there. Um, another magician I know who's a, he's a psychic entertainer. He's doing uh, online psychic shows. Oh wow! Uh, he's he's also doing uh, some guided meditation stuff, which is you know same same thing. Uh, and yeah, he is managing managing to keep it keep it above keep it going just like you know a little bit. It's not yeah. Not big money spinners, but you know they they help to pay the rent. Um, but yeah, creative, being creative into into what what is possible. Um, there's also one of the other, of course, one of the other things I don't even need to say it is that people are now getting really used to this whole screen thing. So, you know, man, every event is going to have to have some sort of virtual component from now on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to get you know, it's just going to have to be part of the mix. Whereas before it was sort of this weird. Weird thing. Oh, we could do. You know. Oh, we could have a live a live streaming session. Yeah. Uh, now it's you know. So here's the live streaming session. Uh, you're also seeing some really interesting virtual events taking place around the world. So within the magic community, for instance, uh, there's like ten thousand magicians on uh, these on these workshop and on these lectures that are going around uh, within the within the Society of American Magicians and International Brotherhood of Magicians, um, and you got all these Vegas stars kind of doing lectures for for. Um, there's also some in the clowning community. There's a they're starting to do some of those. Um, so yeah, there's there's, there's stuff happening um, that didn't exist before. So there's right. new new opportunities. Um, yeah, yeah. And as to how it's all going to turn out, like I say, it, it will go away. Yeah, we'll come back. Stronger, hopefully. Um, uh, in the meantime, I'm. In the meantime, I'm just trying not to get depressed. They canceled Burning Man today. Oh, uh, I know. Yeah, you're a big fan of that. I think you've gone uh, at least uh, what three times in the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, exactly. Every every year, I'm, I'm part of you know I'm part of the build crew. We I go I spend a couple of weeks out in the desert beforehand, helping to set up um, and take down afterwards. So I'm out there for a month, um, and it's yeah, and it's it's uh, it's hard because they are. You would have thought of all the events in the world, they are the most resilient because you know there are. It's a, it's a, it's part of their ethos is is resilience. Uh, but I, I think what it comes down to is probably the the powers that be, the the authorities are going. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen this year. Uh, so I think the the Bureau of Land Management has probably declined their applications, uh, and the and the law enforcement communities and all of that sort of stuff is like. We can't deal with this as well. So, when was it supposed yeah. to happen? When was it? When so did you? 
uh, September. It's it's okay. uh, Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. Uh, Labor Day, Labor Day, Memorial Day, whatever. Um, and yeah. where does it happen? So usually it happens first uh, uh, of September, last last weekend of August, last weekend of August. Yeah. Uh, no, where about though? Oh, where? Oh, oh, in the Black Rock, Black Rock Desert. So right out in the middle of Nevada, literally in the middle of no place, in the most inhospitable environment that you could possibly imagine. There's like wind and dust and sometimes rain and freezing at night and burning hot during the day. Um, and they go out there and it's it's a big, it's the playa. So it's during the wintertime, it's, it's like this deep in water. And then during the summertime, it's just flat, white, powder, powdery, powdery, really alkali dust that just gets everywhere. No, it's, wow. it's a horrible. It's horrible. It's really, really awful. It's just terrible. It's it's an awful thing to do. Uh, but there's a hundred thousand of us out there that that just kind of go crazy and, and love it because uh, the the community is the community is 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 quite strong. The community is really strong, and it's some of the best elements I think of of the U.S. Uh, it's that whole counterculture, whole counterculture thing. And how how long has Burning Man been running? Um, so before I left in San Francisco in the uh, in 1987, uh, there was uh, there was so I think the first one started about 85. It basically started with one guy down on the beach in Ocean Beach and a few of his friends. He had had a really shit year, and uh, he made a, an effigy of of everything that represented his year. So it was like a Guy Fawkes thing, and they went down on the beach. And they got drunk and they set it on fire and danced around the bonfire. Uh, and it became a, a releasing sort of thing. And so the next year, they invited a few more friends. Uh, when I went in 87, was the last one that they had on Baker Beach. Uh, and it was um, uh, <laughs> a 20-foot guy that they said were trying to set on fire. And the fire department came and the police came. And it was just a shit show. Um, and, uh, and after that, they moved out to Black Rock. And I moved to Asia, so I've, I always watched it, you know, just thinking, I had always watched it grow and kind of thought, oh, that was that thing when it was down on the beach. I want to, want to see what happens with it. And as it grew, it just became, you know, more and more, more of everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really interesting community. I, I use it uh, as a, um, uh, a big example in my lectures uh, for volunteers because there's no money, no money exchanges hands at Burning Man at all. It's, okay, you can't buy. You can buy ice and you can buy coffee. That's the only two things that you can you can buy. Everything else, it's a gifting economy. So everything else there is given freely. So you have people that make food, and they just you know at three o'clock every day they're going to make ham sandwiches and they feed, uh, you know they'll feed like you know five five hundred people ham sandwiches for you know every day. Um, uh, for ourselves, one of the camps that I'm involved with, we have a, um, we, we build a, it's about a 50 foot uh, by 100 foot shade structure made of like a big parachute. And then we have uh, about 40 hammocks underneath. And then we have a full bar and a karaoke lounge uh, just going the whole time. Uh, and it's a bar, so you walk up to it, we, we pour you a drink. Everybody carries their own cups, so you know we just pour you a drink of whatever. And we, we we like to pride ourselves that you know it's only premium liquor as well. So um, yeah, yeah, it's fun. And of course, karaoke going the whole time. 
So who funds all this? Like who funds the show? Or who funds the events? It's all, I mean, it, it does cost to go. So they, they build a city. So they do build, you know, they have, have uh, toilets, which, which come in. They, they put in, they put in um, uh, roads. They have buses coming and going and stuff like that. Uh, and, and so it does cost to go. It's about 400 US for a ticket. Um, uh, but beyond that, everything is donated, gifted. You know, everything is just gifted. The whole whole economy is based around gifting. Uh, you know, they've got ten ten principles: uh, resilience, um, immediacy, gifting, non commodic, no commodification. Um, so there's no also there's no branding on anything. Uh, even if you're driving like a, a rental truck, a U-Haul truck, you're supposed to cover the U-Haul sign on it because there's no logos allowed anywhere within the city. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's, from an event management standpoint, it's fascinating. People spend their entire year and a lot of money to, to build stuff, big art sculptures, uh, art cars with, that do fantastic things like blowing fire and, and uh, uh, just some beautiful pieces of art. And they will spend their entire life building this thing just to take it out to the desert to show it off to people. Uh, well, to present it to people to, for them to have an experience with. Um, one of the best parts about it, so, so they, they also they do this big man, which they build this big man, which they set on fire. Uh, and every year is a little bit different. Um, and the man burns on the Saturday. Uh, the man is a, a big party. Everybody's drunk, dancing around the, dancing around the man. Um, but then they also have behind the man, there's the temple. The temple is the spiritual part of it. So, so in the past where the man used to be the place to release your stuff, he kind of became a big party. Uh, and it got away from the, 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 the spiritual aspect of it. And that was when they brought in the temple, which I think was around 2000 or something. Um, and the temple, you know, people will bring stuff they need to release for the year, uh, from the year. So there's a lot of a lot of memorials for people that have lost people. You know, uh, there's a lot of. I met one one lady who she had, um, you know, she'd had a really shit time over her life with addictions to drugs and losing her daughter and all this all this stuff, and she had turned her life around, had gotten uh, gotten her uh, MBA in, in marketing, and she had this box and it was like photographs and it was the last of her old life, and she was bringing it to the temple. And so she leaving the temple, and then on the on the Sunday, they burn the temple, um, and it's the time for a time for release. And that's I mean that's wow. really one of the main things. So yeah, it's got it's got all sorts of things. But I use Burning Man as an example. Some of the the stuff that they do for uh, motivating volunteers, because the way that they motivate people, because everybody there is more or less a volunteer, yeah. uh, and the way that they motivate people in the way that they create a sense of community. Yeah. Uh, I've not seen anywhere else. It's, it's fascinating. It sounds like it needs its own Netflix special, just like the fire event had their own. Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there if you look for it. I mean, one of the things about it is, of course, the non-commodification. Uh, so they're, they're quite, there's also the, you know, the people use Burning Man as an opportunity to be whoever they want to be, to be whatever they want to be, to let their inner self come out. 
Um, right. So you, you get, uh, you know, because of the location and the, the background of it, you get a lot of like Silicon Valley type of people and stuff. So, for instance, it was a rumor for a while that, that Google didn't hire anybody unless they'd been to the burn um, uh, for upper management. Uh, you know, it's because they wanted them to have that sense of community and what was possible. possible wow. um, so you get a lot of, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk, he, he, he goes out there quite regularly. Um, uh, you know, you, and, and because of the way it is, they're just people wandering around. They're just burners, and you know you'll be at a bar, and you know you could be having a having a drink with Elon and not know it. <laughs> you know, talking about something else. Um, right. You know, it, it has a you know, and it's it's part of the, one of their other principles is inclusivity. So no matter who you are, what you are, you know, they bring them along. Um, one of my good friends that he's there every year. He's he's a he's a uh, a um, uh, a, a rancher from okay. uh, from where is he from Minnesota someplace I don't know middle middle America someplace and mm -hmm. he's he's a full on big Trump supporter with his big hat and, and you know and his RV and, and that. Well, you know he's just he's the sweetest man sweetest man there is but we you know we we just avoid talking about politics because right right we find other we find other other things yeah. uh, and yeah so it's it's it creates you get all sorts of people. Yeah, I want to congratulate you on your win. You, I know you won an award at the recent special event show yeah. for the event. Uh, what if? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that was um. Yeah, that was a that was a good gig. Those these gigs don't come across very often. Uh, they they um. That was that was so it was it was an old client that I had done some work for in the past. Uh, I had done his I did his fiftieth birthday. Uh, I did his wife's fiftieth birthday as well. Um, and he was, he's, or he is, um, uh, he's pretty well off, uh, but he just sold his company at the right time. There is in the right place, right time in Hong Kong. Okay. Um, and yeah, he was having a 60th birthday and he's like, Rob, what are we going to do for my 60th? We want to do something special. Um, and he always wanted to have an A-lister. So, you know, the first thing we we're doing was we we're kind of going, oh, you know, well, we should get, you know, we'll get Rod Stewart. You really wanted him last time. Well, let's try and get him out. You know, and we were looking at how to do that. And he was like, yeah, that, that could do it, but let's, you know, we're going to take it up another level. Look, some friends told me about the Orient Express. What can we do on that? And I was like, I don't know. Let me find out. Um, so I had to go, had to go <laughs> and ride the Orient Express to go see if it wow. was any good. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting because originally we were going to go from London to Venice and then have a party in Venice. Um, and the Orient Express was just going to be the that would be the party, uh, but then it just kind of kept snowballing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So, uh, you know, it started out. Uh, we ended up starting out uh, at the Ritz in Paris, uh, Champagne reception. Then we put everybody on the Orient Express for an overnight to Venice, and then we had two nights in Venice. Uh, we had Kylie Minogue play one night, and then we had uh, Ronan Keating playing on the second night. Um, it just, you know, it, the whole thing just kept getting. You know, we started out, started out with a budget, and, uh, and every time I was like, Philip, you know that's going to be beyond your budget. He's like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> like, Philip, this is just going to totally blow our budget. He's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it, and it was, it was one of those magical things where you have the time, the money, you know, and the right client to be able to really create something special. 
Um, and it really was. It was it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Sounds like it. I mean, where, how often you get a client who pretty much has a bottomless pocket, you know, not not very often you get clients like, ah, I want the experience and, you know, it doesn't matter what the cost is, you know. Do, do you have that event up on, have you posted, are you allowed to post that event? I'd love to see what you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, I stay away from any photos of any, any attendees or anything, but yeah, I've got, there's photos on my blog, stuff on my blog of it. Um, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and they're, they're also, they're not, you know, they're not precious. They're not like, you know, oh, we don't want anybody to know what we do there. You know, they're right, right. right. There. But they're also not like, you know, we want to be in all the magazines. You know, <laughs> they're they're really a nice, really a nice couple, really nice, nice, uh, nice family. Um, uh, and yeah, we're yeah, can't wait to see what what we do for his wife's sixtieth. <laughs> I mean, it really sounds, uh, Rob, that you've had an amazing journey. I mean, and look at that. Like, I mean, you you crossed over from from America thirty over years ago, and and you started at the bottom, so to speak, and you've just, you know, you've just stood strong for 30 odd years and, and, and look at this event that you've just won an award. So, I mean, if you were to put it out there for others, uh, you know, especially the, the, the newer generation of those coming into events or coming into show business, I mean, what do you teach at your night classes? Like, what would you just put out there to people? As far as what, for? Uh, for just in, 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 in the yeah, just just staying relevant, uh, just you know, to keep pushing the envelope, uh, to like you know, how do you, how do you get to winning awards? Like, I mean, what does it take? What what kind of drive do you need? Like, what do you keep doing? You know, I, I, I you know, I, I think it comes down to very much you know doing doing what you love. You have you have to love this business because it's shit. It's really hard. It's hard work. You know, mm. people get into it going, you know, oh yeah, champagne and oh, it's so fancy and <laughs> you know, then they do it. They're like. Shit, there's like like two minutes of that, and there, there's you know like a year worth of a year worth of prep time, you know, yeah. and your late night calls, and you know you're you're yeah, it's uh, it, it's a terrible job, and and we it's also we it's one of the most stressful jobs in the world, number yeah. or four, isn't it? So right behind uh, military, uh, firemen, policemen, and then either event managers or. Um, yeah. Or right. airline controllers, it kind of changes. So it's you know our, it, it's a terrible job. So you really have to love it. Um, yeah. And if you don't love it, do something else. Um, yeah. Do something else, and that's I mean that's what's going to make you. For me, and everybody is going to have to have their own thing that drives them to make them make them do it. For for me, I'm an entertainer, and I love I love entertaining, and I saw. Early on, from from the stage, uh, you know, magicians and clowns—they don't have a very good retirement package. <laughs> you know, right? um, uh, and and also, you know, unless you're David Copperfield, though. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, some do. There's some, but there's not many. There's not many. Right? Um, but but there's the, that, and also the that as as from behind the scenes, you know, we're 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 sort of puppet masters, you know. Yes, there's that magician on stage, but it's us that's making him look good, that's making him be engaging, giving the opportunity for him to do his magic to work right. with the audience. You know, it's, we're, we're setting up the whole thing. There, there's much more, 
there's, 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 I do do another lecture on on the the, the backstage mechanisms of of um, of uh, event management and how I picture us as you know we, we're 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 puppet masters back there. You yeah. you never see us. We're yeah. in the back. We're in black. You know, but it's yeah. us pulling all those strings, and people don't people don't realize how much power we have um, over over lots of things. Yeah. Um, particularly when it comes to things like like choices of uh, of where the money gets spent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we're making those decisions every day. So when you start to get into environmental concerns, yep. you know, we, ha we have a lot of power for that. Uh, one of the main things that I'm working on in this next coming year is is bringing ISO 2121, uh, 2012-1 to event management, which is okay. the event, event sustainability. Um, uh, you know, event sustainability management systems to 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 uh, to the event community. It's been going for a while. It's right. great, um, and you know our our industry needs it. Um, as to inspire people, you just have to love it. I mean, there's no inspiration either. You either you do or you you don't. You know, uh, I yeah. try and get my students excited by telling them stories that I've I've had. Yeah, and some of them do, and some of them realize. Yeah, you know what? That just really doesn't sound like fun, right? Right, right. <laughs> Staying up all night for three days on end before a gig to to finish off stuff. That just yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, Rob, I tell you what, I really appreciate your time. I mean, it's so nice to speak to a fellow industry mate who I didn't know had had the same journey that I've had, and you're obviously uh, you're you're my my sifu. So I would say that you know you you've you've gone ahead of me, which is great. And I love the fact that you're giving back now, that you're sharing. And, you know, I've, I've had a chance to give a few of those sharing sessions. In fact, I had one gig lined up at one of the local universities, and then obviously the shit hit the ceiling. <laughs> so uh, the professor is like, don't worry, I'll get you in again as soon as we're back and operation, op operating in normal circumstances. I'm like, yeah, of course, anytime. Uh, but, yeah, no, I really appreciate your time. And I think it's, it's, it's stories like this that, that now that I, I just, you know, look out for and just have a chat with people on this current platform. And I think it's, it's, it's nice to, everybody looks at the glitz and the glam, like, I mean, whoever would have seen you winning that award, but who knows the story behind Rob, right? Like who knows where Rob started and then and the journey and not many people do, maybe your close friends too, you know, but how many people in the industry know the journey of, of what it took for you to get to where you are today, you know? So, and it's all about perseverance and passion, as you clearly said. So, you know, hearing it from, somebody else who's tuned the way I am, it's, it's just so refreshing. Because, you know, it's always me. It's always just me preaching the same thing, you know? And I'm like, ah, I'm not the only raving lunatic out there, you know? No, there's, there's a few of us. There's a few of us. Thank you, John. Thank you for inviting me on. It's, uh, like I say, I've been, been in quarantine for two weeks. I haven't had anybody to talk to. That's why I'm, that's why I'm so <laughs> And I mean, I'm just churning out content as much as I can, you know, just, you know, it's, it's, we have to keep us busy up here, man, for people like us, you know, because we're just, we're, we're just wired people, we're, we're extroverts as much as we are introverts, but we're extroverts and, you know, being around people is, is what makes us tick, you know, that's the beauty of our industry and especially for those of us who have been entertainers or who are entertainers, with, without people, we're nothing, right? I mean, you can't exactly entertain yourself. You know, you can't, well, you could talk to yourself, but that's not going to last very long, you know, before they throw you in the loony bin. So. They, won't get much, they won't get much surprise. <laughs> yeah, surprise. yeah. 
It'll be nice to to one day. I mean, since you still kind of do what you do, it'll be nice to share the stage and see what kind of mayhem we could come up with. Yeah, I, I didn't know your background, man. I really didn't know that. It's it's a real eye opener. So I'm very happily refreshed to hear I've got a fellow brother uh, of the white face uh, brotherhood. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, uh, I'll put this up. You'll catch it on YouTube, Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere. And please, please tell the world your story. More people, more people know me. There we go. There we go. So, Robert Rogers of Events Man in Hong Kong. And we'll hear his story soon. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Cheers.